service, listings, blogs, directions, accessibility, and to order books from their online store from anywhere in the world, please visit bookshelf.ca. As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. On today's episode of Android's Dungeon, Murder on the Orient Express... Maybe this time? Maybe? No. Possibly. Uh, <laughs> Gloomhaven. Again. But this time, we're a bit deeper into it. Broom service. Clank in space? No, we already did that. Maybe something else. Stay tuned. Welcome to CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting out of University of Guelph, Gulf Ontario, Milky Way Galaxy, blah, 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 blah. In case uh, either me or, or my lovely co-host Joel sound oddly jubilant or hyped up or hopped up on something, it's because when you're, when you're feuding with the soundboard and trying to figure out why something doesn't work, and it's literally a button that has been pushed, and someone has occupied time that was supposed to be yours, and you're stole being... a studio, <laughs> stole, stolen studio. But you're, not mad. you're too waspy and polite to say anything <laughs> to the person because, like, you know, we all just need to get along, man. <laughs> Let's see your best sort of mildly angry stare. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. You know what you did. You, you know, know what you did. You're, you're 35 minutes over. <laughs> and you know, you don't want to say anything because like interacting with another human is weird. Why, why do I want to talk to somebody and yeah, risk social anxiety? Your first interaction is a negative <laughs> one. You know you're not going anywhere from there. And you, you know, you're kind of like, you're doing the Sonic the Hedgehog when you're sitting on the screen not doing anything. He's tapping his toes and he's yeah, looking yeah. at his watch and you, you're just upsetting him because you're wasting his time. You're wasting <laughs> your time. Uh, this is Android's Dungeon, a show about vetching, about... Uh, it's a show about getting angry. And not having any output getting for Getting even. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> what show do you have? It's a show about revenge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, the one-armed man. It's, Let's talk it's, about something more innocuous. Jack, how was your dinner? Uh, I actually haven't eaten yet. That's why uh, I'm here. Oh, it was it's it's being prepped. In the works. So it's in the works. That's why. So Joel, actually, this is well. I feel like we have a bad trend. No, it's a great trend. Excuse me, of talking about food on the show. And I like to give tips. And I think Joel and I can both provide tips in Guelph for people who are listening, and enjoy food and enjoy eating good things. And we're gonna toss out. Uh, we, I wish I had some theme music for this. It's uh, Joel. Can you make some like magical noises or kind of like? Oh no! We already done That's that just one. the theme. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, we're gonna drop an official Android Dungeon <laughs> recommendation. <laughs> uh, do you like sandwiches, Joel? 
Sure do. Do you like Vietnamese food, Joel? Sure do. How about a Vietnamese sandwich, Joel? What? It's impossible. That's what I thought. Until I had the pleasure of being introduced <laughs> to, <Changed> my life. <laughs> to a banh mi sandwich, which uh, I think some people already know all about and already like. That sounds French. Bon? Bon. Bon mi? Bon mi? Oui. Bon oui. Oui. J'ai vu les croissants <laughs> avec jambon. <laughs> ah, bon. Très bon. Très bon. It's, uh, it is a Vietnamese sub-sandwich. And you can get one at Nguyen's, which is this Vietnamese restaurant that's kind of like, what road is it on again, Joel? It's in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I have no idea. It's if, off Speedvale. I think. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you're, you're driving to um, Diwa uh, Indian food. I think a lot more people know that location. And instead of going to Diwa, you do the right thing. You just keep going past it. And you're going to drive past do the, the, right. the... Do the right thing, Spike Lee. You drive past it and you go past the college. Um, and then there's this little plaza. It's this tucked away plaza that, in my opinion, it's a good sign. It's a sign of good things when there's a little plaza with a restaurant in it, and it's full of people usually. And that means you found a little treasure, in my opinion. And you pull in in the Nuyens, and you can get some Vietnamese food, which is good. But you can also get a sandwich, a Vietnamese sub-sandwich, which is basically they just take the uh, a loaf of French bread, a smaller one, kind of like sub-style, slice in half and fill it to the brim. Well, not to the brim, but they fill it with some some barbecued meats and some vegetables, and it's very buttery or margarine-y. I, in my mind, I want to say buttery, but whatever. And uh, the, the it almost tastes like the sauce you'd put on spring rolls. And God, it, why didn't we go? Oh, <laughs> it's because so I didn't want to ruin. I didn't want to ruin dinner. No, I understand. And uh, and they're they are very inexpensive. It's like five ninety nine, four ninety nine for a sub. That one sub will fill you up. Two subs will knock you down. Huge. I've done two subs, but um, I don't endorse it because you start to rethink <laughs> your decisions uh, halfway through the second one. But that's the official Android Dungeon eats. Uh, maybe the fuel for Android Dungeon, perhaps. Fuel for our rage. Fuel for our rage or happiness. I don't know. Whatever. Um, Joel, what have you been playing recently? Well, I've been playing a lot of Gloomhaven with you, but I suppose I've also played Codename Duet. Okay. Is that, that wasn't your first time playing Duet, though, right? No. No. Um, just give us a quick rundown of Duet differences, because Codenames is kind of the, the everyone talks about the god tier game. And it, it's, I keep recommending it to people. My aunt, quick as sidebar, my aunt's asking me for game recommendations for Christmas and things. Yep. And she says, we want we want simple, quick games. And they're fond of card games, too. So it's like, oh, geez. Go through the list, go through the list, recommend some things. Uh, I put Vegas in there just because it's obvious. But uh, code names was I put, I put up there. And I, I call it, described it as God tier, and my aunt didn't understand what I meant. <laughs> and I said God plays it and he likes it. That's what that was my ex- <laughs> blasphemy. Uh, so can't say that about code names. That God likes it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Slight on God. Slight on code names. I don't know. Um, who cares? <laughs> anyway, give us. Sorry to interrupt. Oh no no no! Uh, Codenames Duet is a two-player co-op version of Codenames. So you'll take your regular Codename, and you lay it out. Same twenty-five words, five by five grid. Looks the same, except you are now playing as a team. And so they, what they've done is they've added a whole bunch more assassins. So there's a lot of ways you can just lose right out. And then they've given you a nine clue limit. Yeah, so nine clues. You get them all, or you're done. So is it, it. as opposed to the first one where the only time limit is really just your, your opponents. If they beat you, they beat you. In this one, you're playing against the, the clock. The, there's a, 
every time you go and guess, like you flip over a token or something or move it down on a list, I forget what it is, and different scenarios. You can decide to play, like you can go around the world and each one has different time limits on it, right? And different Ooh, requirements. Yeah, very exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it's still code names. It's, it's exactly code names. But um, as far as two-player variants go, I think it's got to be one of the best out there for, yep. like, if you love code names. Can't find more players. Eh, you don't need them. Two people's <laughs> enough now. <laughs> and the person you're playing with, had they played Codenames Duet before? She had not, no. Um, they had played Codenames, but only once or twice and couldn't remember how to play. So it was, it was basically a start from scratch kind mm-hmm. of scenario. So me and Jack are uh, in disagreement on something about Codenames. Yeah. Uh, well, Duet in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, we both agree the age-old wisdom of Codenames, which is... Uh, the longer you go, the easier it get is to give clues because the more clues are eliminated. Yep. But I think that in duet, um, since you're running with the same set of clues the whole time, you end up using up your associated words early. Yeah. And then you get into this whole thing of like, how do I tie um, sister with wagon or yeah, something? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I'm, I like, I'm, I'm not in total disagreement, but I think in general, it's just less clues makes it easier. Yeah. And I think that's where I fall at the end of the day is that if you've eliminated a bunch of clues, it's, it, that's not to say that it like, could be the luck of the draw where you end up with the stuff that's left over are really bad assassins that are just sitting there that look really poorly linked with your clues. But then you got to do this meta, like pro tier. Uh, code names playing where you gotta work around the assassins and think ahead to your next clues so that you hopefully can not be stuck with something that's like uh, so if your your current clue is uh, trying to guess a bunch of things with animals and the assassin uh, is a pig is a pig then maybe you don't pick something like that but pick a, go think of different clues that are maybe not you're not going to get as many points but you eliminate the uh, association that's going to possibly link your, or cause your uh, partner to go in the direction of the assassin but it's <laughs> it's just code names folks <laughs> it's code names yeah go play it have a good time we don't care and it's inexpensive less than 20 bucks if you're paying for more than 20 dollars for code names Stop what you're doing and put it down and rethink your plans. Think unless about you your it. life. Unless you need it, which you do <laughs> need, but you don't need it that badly. Well, everybody's out there shopping for Christmas uh, yeah, presents. Yeah, 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 yeah. We talked about where to buy yeah. a little bit last week. Yeah. Don't overpay. You know, do your research. I mean, I know you want to just go out and get it done and maybe you, mm-hmm. you go to the mall. You get all your shopping done at the mall because you want to torture yourself during Christmas season. <laughs> so you go to the mall, you get some clothes for Jenny and little Mark's got his <laughs> little toy truck or whatever. And then, ah, oh, you need something for Jimmy because Jimmy's in his teens and he's angsty and he's been listening to a lot of, I don't know what Lincoln Park. Lincoln Park, a lot of, what's uh, Jaden Smith maybe? Jaden Smith. Dropped Jayden a new Smith. album, So Hot Right Now, man. So hot. So hot. Jaden Smith. <laughs> okay, so where are we going with this? Oh yeah, you're in the mall. Yeah. You go to the game shop. You know what? If they want to pay five bucks more, fine. Go for it. Yeah. But just realize that you're paying $5 extra for something that you maybe didn't have to. Um, and you know what? And we said it before, and I'll, I, need to, I need to repeat this again. If you are an Amazon shopper, as I think a lot of people are, and, or even Indigo or some of these other companies, when you type it in, you'll see something there, and they may have discounted. Like, you'll see something that says, like, negative 20%, or it's like, or save 30% because they've taken a high price and slashed it to a lower price. It's still more. Odds are you are still overpaying for some of these places, which is fine. 
if you know you're overpaying and you don't mind overpaying a bit more just to get it all out of the way or you want to support a specific business for a specific reason that's up Jared, to you there's only so much time in the day i gotta get my christmas shopping in exactly so if if time is money and uh money is tight then pay more <laughs> I, I, I <laughs> wait <know>. a minute <laughs> equates time plus money <laughs> oh no we actually have a chalkboard up here and joel's gotten out of the, his chair and he's he's doing some uh, uh beautiful mind equations yeah, thanks in the back. to the glass <laughs> <laughs> like on a submarine or something i don't yeah. know whatever um jack what have you been playing lately uh so i got to learn a game um this week called broom service and it's been out for a while and if you look at it, it even proudly advertised its uh, winner of Kinnerspiel, the Yara's, uh, was it 2014, 2015? Yep, looks like 2015. Yeah, and I haven't seen the movie, so I'm going to I'm gonna be very cautious by throwing out the comparison, but I've heard it described this way before, and it's Kiki's Delivery Service, the game, which hmm. is this adorable Studio Ghibli film, I imagine, about a witch that delivers things. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, um, this is also in the Aaliyah series, isn't it? Yes, it's a Ravensburger, Ravensburger uh, strategy game. So it's um, if you were to put them side by side, it's it's set, like they've got the Aaliyah stuff and it's got a number to it. And yep. it's, uh, it's designers. Alexander Pfister sounds familiar. And I think if I'm not cor- incorrect, I think he may have been working on um, uh, the 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 game that was out kind of recently about uh, kind of uh, cattle driving and building a railroad. Great Western Trail. Great Western Trail. Am I correct? You nailed it. Yes. And Isla Sky from oh, Chief Isla Sky. King. That's right. Okay. Uh, so anyway, this game um, is basically what happens is everyone has a deck of cards that are the same, and you have a combination of witches and druids and gatherers and you all have one magical fairy godmother and what you're doing is you've got a couple witches that are on the board and I'm not sure if it scales with players and I just played two players and uh, when I played with my girlfriend we both had uh, two witches on two different castles on this map and the map is split up into different grids so there are mountain areas there are prairies there are forests um, there are lakes and uh, basically all the the staples of it and what you're supposed to do is every turn you and your opponent select four cards and again it, it will change with different player accounts I believe and uh, what happens is each of the cards does something and so all the witches are good at moving between play, uh, spaces and all the druids are good at delivering things to places for extra points and all the gatherers are good at getting the potions and ingredients things to deliver so it all makes sort of sense when you put them together you have all the means of production right there in front of you so what the happens? Means of production. The means of production. So it's a very Marxist. You seized game. it. I seized it. I am from beginning to end and about making money. Oh no, I'm a capitalist. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so what you do is you play one of these cards, and each card, and this is where the game gets interesting, has a brave and cowardly action, which is a very French way of, I think, explaining something, or a very European way of uh, describing an action. And if you do a brave action, it's better, way better than the cowardly action. Uh, the cowardly action, though, guarantees you the ability to do that action. If you do a brave action, that's where the meanness, the the sheer uh, kick you while you're down, I didn't think this was this type of game comes in, in which if you're, you go across the table and you check the person to your left, do you have this guy in your hand? If they do, they get to play it, and they can choose to do a brave action or a cowardly action. If they do a brave action, boom, right in the gut, your action is canceled. You're done. 
sorry, buddy, you've just got countered by your opponent next to you. Double braved. And you don't get to do that. How but, does that work in two-player? Well, it's just that's it. So if I chose a brave action and Kayla had the same guy with her, she can neutralize that action and decide to brave it, and that's it. But whoever played brave last gets a start. So, And if there are multiple players in a game, just because you countered me, you can get countered by the player next to you if you did oh, a brave no. action. So you can keep going around the circle if everyone's just trying to oh, gank the next the person. So what, what is this brave action? You're doing a loop-the-loop -loop on your, uh, on your so broom? For, you're trying to cut a corner? For example, so a brave action with a witch. Normally with a witch, if you do a cowardly action, you can only move to a corresponding spot. Uh, so for example, if you choose a cowardly... So there's a mountain witch. If you take the uh, mountain witch, it allows you to move into a mountainous region. And I forgot to mention, across the board, there are a bunch of towers. And all the towers are associated with the color, which means they accept that potion of that color. And once you deliver there, you put the potion on the map, and nobody can deliver to that spot anymore. So it's gone. You've already fulfilled their need. So if you take the brave action as a witch, you can move and deliver. Oh. If you take the cowardly, you can only move into that spot, which you may want to do because if you do a druid action, it delivers for extra points. Um, and if you do the brave action for gatherers, you get lots of extra potions or wands. And wands are useful for because there are these uh, clouds all over the place, and they've got lightning bolts on them and a number next to them. And each one takes different wands to get the lightning bolts, but they're set collection. So if you have X amount of lightning bol uh, bolts at the end of the game through all your clouds, you get massive bonuses. So there's tons of different ways to go about the game, whether you just want to be pure delivery, whether you want to just be a mad cloud catcher and going around doing this sort of stuff. Um, it is one of them. It played so quickly and it was so mean, mm, Joel. Like I'm trying multiple to, I can, paths to victory. I can't You're express language. I can't express how frustrating it was in a good way. So the game was mean, right? Not the game uh, is mean. But you can be just as... But the thing is, is if you play a brave, the person next to you has to play their brave too. Or has to play their card. They don't have to take the brave action though. So they can decide, but why would you? So you can coexist. No, well, you could coexist, but why? The game isn't balanced around that. It's not meant to be nice. And if there's these moments where you... Because you, you pick your cards and you're looking at your opponent and you're staring at her and you're, you're playing your card and you're looking her in the eye and you say, oh, please... <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. Just have some mercy. <laughs> and you play your brave thing, and they just laugh at you, and they play their brave, and your turn's gone. So uh, there's that stuff. And it just moves so quick. And each round has a different sort of um, sort of theme to it. So there's rounds where it's like if you cash in um, one type of every potion and a wand, you get extra victory points. There's a round if you end your witches in certain hexes, or hexes, in certain spaces, you lose points. Um, and also, if you're playing with less than five, the game scales up to five folks. Can you imagine playing Ooh. five players where every time you play a card, somebody is possibly saying no to you if you do a brave action? Scary stuff. But if you play with less than five, what happens is you flip over cards depending on enough. Uh, so you're always making it two five players. So if you play with two, you flip over three. If you play with three, you flip over two. And those two rolls right there that are selected from this neutral deck... Every time you play that role that turn, you lose three points for no. being, being a goofball, for not following the rules. Now, is it possible just to always be cowardly? Absolutely. Succeed? Absolutely. Well, I don't know about succeed. I only played it once, and I'm sure you could do okay. And it's you're guaranteeing your move, and you're guaranteeing every action. But the it's it's basically either half or a, uh, a third of the quality of doing the brave action. And that's where the real greedy, push-your-luck aspect of this game comes through. Unbelievable. It's funny, um, <clears throat> I very nearly bought Broom Service the other day, mm -hmm. 
and I decided not to because it was only, only 405th best ranked game <laughs> of all time. And I know that the Aaliyah games, yeah. 10 out of the 14 Aaliyah games yeah. are in the top 150. Yeah. Incredible. 10 Outrageous. of your games are in the top 150. Uh, the the rating you uh, mentioned before, did you say Kinderspiel? Uh, Kinderspiel. Yeah, the Kinderspiel. So the the, so the 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 strategy game or the higher thinker game of the year. Yeah, which I don't think we've talked about before because there's the Spiel DR, which everybody knows, just game, game of the year. Of the year yeah. And there's the Kinderspiel DR, which is the kids game of the year. Yeah. The Kinderspiel DR is actually really interesting. I'm just looking it up Kinder now. versus Kinder. Kinder, Kinder. Yeah, and Kinder just means expert or yeah. connoisseur so like it, us. It, yeah so <laughs> it's it's and you know what it really is not it is not extreme it's if people are looking at this game they're thinking oh god what am i going to do the rules were dirt simple there was a bit of confusion maybe initially as it as with any game because the rules with following people and i, I may be even misspeaking uh, right this second about some of the nitty-gritty but the bottom line is the actions are very self-explanatory Pick no, four. Jack, we don't make mistakes on this show. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Android. No mistakes. Nothing. I'm always Jack right. Jack Rudge guarantee. That's still gold. Still the gold still standard. Um, it, so the, what Joel was talking about, we've talked about before, is the Aaliyah series of Raven, Ravensburger, which I, growing up, Ravensburger was famous to me for the Amazing Labyrinth, which was this really interesting kind of... Th- it, I don't want to call it dexterity game, but the board actually moves, and it was a pick up and deliver type game. Go to this spot, then take it over here. Um, but the board, the maze is always changing in this uh, really wacky, strange way. Very frustrating game. But. They just hire the best people. Yeah. Um, um, but they have this in- series, Aaliyah. Interesting fact: this year's winner, mm-hmm. the Exit Games, <laughs> for the the Kinner. Yep. <laughs> interesting. So I think we we sort so of I have them. We sort of talked about this before. The it, escape rooms have become very, very popular, and uh, there's a good reason for it because I think the it, I think it's a natural sort of evolution of board games in the sense that people it's a golden era of board games. People are getting together and they're spending time together and they're they're interacting with these these very they can be simple or very extreme. But the bottom line is you're 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 in person moving a tangible object, supposed sitting in a computer chair and uh, or playing a video game. So you take these concepts that were very popular in a computer game. Flash games have been doing this since, I'm trying to think of, probably for a long time, but I think for me it was like 2003, 2004, when you really started to really get a feel, like all these escape the room Flash games that were, some of them were easier, some of them were more insane, but it's almost like an adventure game with some obtuse logic, and they've grabbed these concepts and decided to make a real version of it, which to me sounds incredible. I love the idea of an escape room. I think it's a fantastic idea. Um, I'd like to see something. Well, when was the last time you did Escape Room, Joel? Uh, that would have been with. Uh, it was like a team building exercise with my with my team at work, and it was um, near downtown. Was Pretty I there for that one? You were no, in the this bay? was a, this was, a, this was a help desk versus help desk. <laughs> um, team, it, was, it was actually pretty fun. Both yeah, rooms yeah. were decent. Um, so. I'll, before I go any further, Joel, like I did an escape room just this week, so I want to talk about it a little bit. Oh. Um, but Joel, talk about what you picked up as part of your, uh, was it Christmas shopping or what was it? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, basically, yeah, it was Christmas shopping. I think I, I was killing some time at J&J's, which is favorite haunt for a lot of us. Oh, and J&J's. I couldn't resist. I've been looking for them. They've been sold out everywhere. But they I think disappear. they just did a... Big reprint because I've seen them everywhere now. Oh, okay. And 
they're called Exit. Yeah. And it's just a theme, but it's basically, you know, the guys Cosmos that made the Lost Cities, which is, everyone seems to have five copies, but it's a fantastic <clears throat> game. Um, and it's just a one-time escape room game. Mm-hmm. Really small, 12 to $20, depending on where you go. Yep. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's escape room in the box. I, have you opened it yet? Have you tried it? Have you ever played one? No, so it's one-time play. Yeah. And you're done. Yeah. So I'm saving it. Now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have plans for them. A friend of mine has played them. I think he, I don't know if it's the Exit series or I think there's some other variants or different types of them. Uh, he said, I think one of them he said is for sure can't do it again, but the other one you could sort of guide people on because I think some of them are destructive, like kind of you have to do something mm-hmm. and then you can never go back from that legacy style if you want to call it that. And others are just kind of like, okay, well, the secret's out for you, but if you want to like guide people or kind of host an event, you could probably do it. But Or give it away. Or give it away, yeah, sure. Red Hot Chili Pepper style. Doodloop. Um, so <laughs> I got to do an escape room recently, and I think it's probably been a year, if not more, since my last one. So where'd you go? I did the same place, Kronos's Gauntlet or Kronos's Castle. What's it called? The, Kron- yeah, I think you got it right first time. Gauntlet, yeah, um, which is on Cork Street in downtown Guelph. And um, I had done it previously with uh, Joel's group of uh, colleagues and coworkers, but we were split up. So there's, I think they, there are three in the building. There's a dungeon in the basement. There's the wizard's tower to the right. And there was upstairs, which is like the, the, the laboratory. The observatory. Yeah. And we did the one upstairs as part of my work thing. And there were about six of us. And I was a little, I was slightly apprehensive because um, the, uh, the wizard's tower was fun, but it was very, very esoteric at times to the point that I was almost kind of thinking like, ah, I don't know, this, this feels convoluted for convoluted sake versus more about more. That's where adventure games for a long time had this big problem. If you ever played in these Sierra games growing up, the uh, King's Quest, Miss? Space Quest, well, uh, <laughs> Broderbund or whatever. I love Miss, by the way. Um, but some of these games had logic that was... It, it was called. It, it became adventure game logic. That was. It was the phrase because it was no no normal person. Blah, no normal person would ever think to do this. But in an adventure game, it's like okay, why not, right? Yep. And the Sierra games were infamous for screwing you for doing something you thought was intuitive and not telling you it was wrong until the end of the game when you're wandering around, you can't do something or you keep dying, and then finally you break down and look at a hint or something. And these were in the 80s, too, where you could just go on to uh, Google and just get a walkthrough in two seconds. And you find out, oh, you like uh, you, you use that item you weren't supposed to use uh, in a logical situation because you're supposed to save it till the end of the game and then use it here instead. But we let you do it, and we didn't tell you not to do it. Ha-ha. Take that. Which is, like, for example, King's Quest V. This is in the 90s. This is way past this. King's Quest V has this part involving a pie. And you get this pie early on in the game, and you have opportunities to eat it, and the game never tells you not to do it. And what you're supposed to do is hold onto the pie for almost 90% of the game until you're supposed to throw it at an abominable snowman. And obviously. It, and obviously. I mean, how else are you supposed to defeat it's an the abominable, abominable snowman's only weakness? Pie in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and the game never does anything about that. There's little scenes with, like, a cat that's chasing a mouse. If you don't have a boot in your possession, the cat gets the mouse, end of that. You don't know anything better. Except you need that mouse to save your life later on in the game. And oh, it never tells you that you needed to save the mouse or have another chance to save the mouse. It's just very mean stuff. Now, I'm not trying to say these escape rooms are that mean, but there's some times when you're looking at stuff 
and it there, it's like a puzzle for puzzle's sake versus something more natural. It's like, yeah. and so I did the laboratory, and it was I thought it was way better than the wizard's room because the puzzles felt more organic. They felt like something you should been solving and needed to solve, versus like. Uh, uh, find out in this room of stars which lock you unlock for the sake of opening up something over here, which is like okay, I'm just yeah. I'm just doing something weird. That's that's sort of difficult. Versus okay, you need to you need to build this uh, serum to cure virus. In order to find it, you have to put stuff together and you have to like do some leaps of logic to sort of unlock certain folders and things. So. You know, I kind of had the same feeling when I went to Kronos Gauntlet. Yeah. I know I think I probably already told you I had a bad experience, but um, my room, uh, we got in the room, we were locked up, and then we got out real quick. Exactly. Like 30 seconds. And then the next 20 minutes, we spent searching the room yeah. for some way to get out of the room. And it turns out there was actually nothing we could do uh-huh. because we had to wait for another people, uh, group of people in another room to f- solve their clue, get a key for us, and yeah. get us out. So really, for those 20 minutes, we had zero things to do. And then at the end, instead of it being like, okay, you've solved all these things, now yeah. here's the final puzzle. Yeah. They just throw something impossible at you. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if you... Did you I, do I've, I've never done the dungeon. I've just heard your stories about it. Yeah, so what it is is there are um, all these Greek symbols and they associate with goblets and you're given every single symbol that is wrong mm-hmm. and the symbols are all on the goblets. So mm-hmm. you know, okay, if I drink from this one, it's poison. Yeah. And you're trying to find, I don't know, King Arthur's goblet or... The, uh, is it a, like the Holy Grail? Yeah, or? the Holy Grail. Yeah. So the only way to do it is once you've solved all your puzzles and you get in this room and you get the thing and you figure out that the things are on the goblet, which is not that hard, you need to go to every single room with a lantern or a light or a flashlight and you need to find every single symbol. Well, hold on. Stop, stop, stop. Spoiler alert in case you're doing any of this stuff or <laughs> yeah. planning on it. We, I, I think Joel will do his best not to give away any direct secrets, but he's just explaining maybe some frustrations with uh, getting to a secret. I don't mind spoiling this. <laughs> it sucks. Okay, so spoiler If you're planning on doing the escape rooms, I will try to avoid stuff. Joel is going to tell you not to do the dungeon. <laughs> All right, can you go on, please. Uh, anyway, so there's just uh, every single symbol is etched in uh, door cracks and uh, corners of stone, which have been covered in sand, by the way. Yeah. And so you need to just basically, uh, wh- what is it where you get dinosaur bones and you're sh- sh- shifting Excavate? Every- you have to excavate every single symbol in whatever remaining 10 minutes you have. Yeah. And that's not fun. Yeah, yeah. And that's not challenging as far as trying to solve something. Yeah. Just, it's just all of a sudden it becomes a treasure hunt. Yep. And that's that's what I think the problem is, is when you, there's a – you need to find a good balance between the the tangible in which, like, you're, you're hiding objects in places – and you're relying on the player to actually look, and that's you're in 3D space. You are you should be able to move around and lift stuff up and shake things out. But it bugs me when, for example, going back to the Wizard's Tower again, there are books everywhere. And the problem is, is that when you give me all these books all over the place, and there's no clear solutions to things, that I'm going to start going through every book. Yeah. Like, because what else can you do? Looking for keys or letters <laughs> or envelopes, and you could argue, no, there are hints to things that are important. And you should uh, like focus on these things, but when you when you bang your head against a wall on where to proceed, you got to start like, what do I do next? What do I do next? Yeah. Oh, I may have missed this. I guess I've been to places just outside of downtown. I've been to places in Toronto. I've been to places in Vancouver. Damn, they're all fun. All they're all good. Yeah, 
not a big fan of that place. And it's, it's just when when we were done, they came and they showed us every mistake. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they yeah. They were super arrogant about it. I was like, oh, oh were they? Yeah, yeah. Whatever, man. You made a great puzzle. Good job. I that's why. I, so I'll I will endorse the laboratory. Yep. which is the, th- the third one. So Dungeon, I think, generally speaking, I don't think anyone I know has really liked or had a good experience with it. And it, when you were describing the, like, waiting for other players, that part killed me because oh, never so should you be... Because could you interact with them? Or could you help them at all? You could talk to them. Yeah, but you, there's you nothing want. you can really do. You, don't, you can't see their rooms. Yeah. So really, you can't do anything other than ponder with them if they want to give you information. I guess. Yeah, so I think that's a failure in terms of, like, when you as opposed to having the sandbox of like the entire group can fail or succeed as a group when you've done your thing and you can't see what another group is doing. You're kind of saying, well, what do you guys, can you see anything odd? Can you, can you yeah. look for a key? <laughs> like, yeah. okay. Do you want to do the normal things that you would normally do in an escape room, but yeah. over there and we'll just tell you to do it. Yeah. It's like, okay, do I'm going to quarterback you from this room. How do you like it? Yeah. But again, I, I like the laboratory. I like, I found it to be mostly fair. Um, there were a couple things that maybe bugged me a little bit, but in general, um, it, it felt reasonable. And I think every and there was some good use of RFID chips for sort of like doors opening and things unlocking that I thought like it's clear that they spent this was the third I think the most recent one they did, and it's clear that if they take what they learned from this one and redo maybe the bottom two maybe to fit them, I yep. think they could have some some hits so on their hands. So they're coming along. I think they're coming along. It showed some creativity and some ingenuity. Um, but that was my take on the yeah. escape rooms. Looking forward to the to the self-contained escape room board game. I'm excited Should too. So it, if you name a time and a place. And Tanner Spieldiar. And uh, like how many rooms do you need? How does it work? Or could you just do it in this studio if we wanted to? <laughs> I think you. I think you just lay it. I actually don't know how it works. Yeah. But um, I there are three of them, right? So and if it wins these, like it can't be. There's two more coming out. Yeah. Why not? It's (laughs) just keep putting them out. Put out little pieces and things and do that stuff. It's odd. I'd love to try it, and I'm looking forward to it. So we're gonna take a quick musical break. On that note, for once, this one is actually gonna go at the normal time. So you're hearing us speak as we cue up the actual song. Uh, Stay tuned.
Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just heard was Jean Auric by Miles Davis. God help me if I could tell you the album it's on. <laughs> I can't. Uh, I'm pretty sure the... I have a CD copy of the song, which I bought this Miles Davis Best of 2 CDs collection just for that one song. There's some other great stuff in there. There's some other stuff that's just kind of pulled from the rest of your favorite albums. But something about uh, Jean Auric that is just... Um, it's so... I love mysterious jazz and for me Generique just starts off with that that lovely sort of uh, echoey solo trumpet kind of playing in the background it's almost like you can see the city streets and uh, just the sound echoing around them as uh, as the the private eye kind of walks down yeah. the smoke coming out over the steam coming out of the grates she was a dame <laughs> dame to kill for no that's Sin City whatever Love it. Absolutely love it. Never saw her again. <laughs> Sin City. It's... Never hope to. What's that? Never hope to. Oh, man. It's so much fun writing noir stuff. It's absolutely a blast, I think, to sit down and just put yourself. It's it's not as easy to look, folks, without sounding hacky and cheap. It is. <laughs> Take some time. Um, which may, reminds me that, uh, do you ever play Max Payne? Yeah. Great game. First, I think I played both of them. First, yeah, that's right. Two of them. <laughs> the first two Max Paynes are outstanding. The first one is legit, like, gaming god, or gaming... Like, Changed the game. It did. It, they, the bunch of, I think they're Nord, or, were they Swedes or um, Norwegians? Uh, but it was Remedy Entertainment, 3D Realms, now it's um, owned by uh, Rockstar. And the game comes out, and it's, it runs incredibly... And it's this inc- weird mix of comic book style cutscenes, but all the actors in the comic book scenes, it's like they took pictures of the, the developers, basically, and then they just kind of rotoscoped them into the framing, and they have the this neat little sort of like the speech bubbles and the artistic backgrounds. And uh, the the lead, the guy famous for the, for the face of Max Payne, you see him everywhere. And you like when people meet him in real life, he always does the the Max Payne face, which PC Gamer, I remember when the review came out for it, they gave it like 89% or something, which was incredible. But they call it the stinky sock face because <laughs> he, he looks like he just smelled stinky socks. Cause, <laughs> incredible slow motion, Matrix X jumping, the the dual guns, the diving all over the place, the headshots, the mobsters, pain incredible yeah. incredible incredible always incredible. And, and the function of the gameplay function of expendable slowing yes. fight time yes 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 has been so copied yeah. all across the across the map and they did it first they did it first they did the best for well i don't know if they did it first but as far as i can tell it's the first one i can think of that they that at it, least in 3d shooters yeah third person 3d shooter the game runs like a dream tons of fun you can pick it up today for dirt cheap and it's worth it the second one is still a good game it's shorter not as smart they they it was too overproduced in my opinion and then they had the third one, which is a disaster, as far as I'm concerned. What? There's a no, I don't think so. No, no, they didn't make a third one. No, it didn't didn't happen. It's definitely not a cruddy man on fire ripoff with good gunplay, but unskippable cutscenes. Like True Detective season two, it never happened. Oh man, how did they screw that up too? Sad, very very sad. Um, anyway, um, oh one last thing, Fear, first person shooter. Do you ever play Fear? Legendary game, highly recommend you give it a shot. It's always on sale. Um, trying to think what year it came out, 2005 maybe, 2004, maybe before that even. Anyway, uh, first person shooter by Monolith, my beloved Monolith of Blood and No One Lives Forever, uh, Oni, 
Um, you basically play this this SWAT team member with uh, who belongs this paranormal sort of like SWAT team. Uh, really goofy acronym because fear is actually a, a first encounter assault recon. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> and you get called into this, uh, basically this uh, corporate building that's been uh, taken over by an army of clone soldiers that the arm, uh, the U.S. government has lost control of because they used a psychic to control them, but the psychic's gone crazy and now he's he's running amok. And you run around these buildings, and it's a horror game slash first-person shooter, but has bullet time. And just like you were saying, it's it recharges. So um, when you spend it, but this one recharges automatically, but slowly. So when you go through, it's got this incredible style of like when you've got your dual pistols out, and you're going slow, and you're seeing the 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 air ripples as the bullets are flying through, and it's ultra bloody and violent because guys are like, more or less exploding. If you go up point blank with a shotgun to a guy, they they turn into mist. Awesome. <laughs> and the cool part too is the AI was very. It's very rudimentary, but it because they did it so well, you may they look so much smarter than they actually are, combined with great sound design. Because the soldiers start to panic as more of them disappear, yeah. and they're starting to criticize. They're talking about your ability. They say he's moving too fast. That's impossible. <laughs> and you got this great gun, which is a penetrator, <laughs> which shoots this like nail that pins people to the wall. Ah! And when you finish them, they're just like hanging there limp. Incredible physics, incredible awesome. lighting, incredible sound. Fear is just. Probably one of the best first-person shooters ever made and has aged like wine. Still, still incredible. Nice. Um, I heard you're, um, you're diving in to Stellaris. Yes, and I'm glad you brought that up because I need to extend a, uh, a thank you to our benefactors in England. Uh, Karen Yu, thank you very much for the donation of Stellaris and three DLCs. Um, I'm glad you bought it because I don't like giving Paradox my money. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I dipped my toe into it today and I'm already confused. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I played a run and I was thoroughly confused as well. Did you do the tutorial or? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what I'm doing and I'm doing the tutorial. <laughs> it's like, I can't imagine what you were up to. Yeah, I think I turned on the tutorial missions, you know, where it like kind of gives you like, hey, you should, maybe you should do this. Yeah, now. that's exactly it. Like, call, or survey these planets. Now yeah. do this. It's still not. It's not a great tutorial. <laughs> it's it's no. not not that good. Yeah. Um. All right. So we have managed to come back to Gloomhaven. We Gloomhaven. did two games yesterday, which is incredible. I'm very happy we got two games in. Joel, tell me. Tell our listener your thoughts on Gloomhaven uh, scenario two and three. You know, Jack, I'm s- I love the map. I love the sort of the world and how you start encounters and everything. I'm still not really all that sold on the gameplay. Mm-hmm. I think um, it makes sense. We have these expendable cards so that we don't just mess around and waste all our of our time. But it doesn't really make sense in a um, traditional tra- tra- traditional combat or traditional role playing way because you because you run in mm-hmm. and you have two I guess you have two or three ways you can play you can spend all your big attacks and kind yep. of get a big advantage early because like in this last encounter we just it was like here we'll throw everything at you and you yeah, do yeah. your best um, and so really what we could have done to move things along faster is start shooting out some really big things, but yep. nobody wants to spend yep, yep, yep. a card at the beginning. You want to discard a card, mm-hmm. discard a card, discard a card, discard a card, mm-hmm. pick them all back up. But when you do that, 
what did we find out? Well, what did Josh find out the hard way? Well, Josh found out very quickly that uh, you run out of cards when you are using up your big hitters. If, is that what you're referring to? No, that? I'm saying that if you don't expend your your big hitters for damage, you oh, are receiving so much more damage that you have to end up oh, just yeah, yeah, yeah. throwing out cards to not die. Yeah, so the way Gloomhaven works is that if you and, the, and enemies hit like trucks, so when there's contact and we all have very low HP, Josh has the most and he has 11. And when you have guys hitting for five damage, so somebody yeah. potentially wiping out uh, a little bit less than half of your HP in one attack, you got to start thinking, uh-oh, what am I going to do here? And you can mitigate the damage by deciding to do two things. You can either discard two random cards from... Is it random? Your discard. Yeah, from your from your discard. They're gone. Lost. You're never seeing them again. Or you can use one card from your hand and lose that one. Um, and in a game where you are you have a time limit based on the amount of cards in your hand, you're basically just pushing the clock hands a yeah, bit. Yeah, and Jack, what are your total cards? I have uh, a, a nine cards. I start with nine. Nine cards, and you're losing a card to obviously to negate damage, so that's great. I mean, obviously... Yeah. Uh, you don't want to die. Yeah, yeah. It gives you a chance. But if you maybe if we had killed those guys, we wouldn't have been taking that damage in the yeah. first place. And I think that's what it is. And I understand exactly what you're saying. I, I, as far like I'm, I'm not big dungeon crawler guy, so I can't really compare it to too many other things. The only other thing I think of is Mage Knight, and that's very similar. Sort of like you're playing cards, and they do X things, and after you you can't get certain cards back after you use them, but the the way that Gloomhaven is doing it is really just there is a I'm not even gonna say a fire under your ass there is a burning house yeah. that is just you're constantly sinking into a hole. yeah you're, you're, the house is on fire you're in quicksand and people are <laughs> <laughs> shooting things at you from the side it's just it we have we will say this we won both scenarios barely <laughs> by <laughs> the, like a card the third scenario Kayla was able to uh, without spoiling anything we need to kill twenty enemies. Um, everyone in the team had w- had wiped or become exhausted. Joel, I think, unfortunately, um, was the victim of just bad card draws and could have kept going, but he got smoked. And then I just ran out of cards, naturally. Kayla had one shot, does group one damage, one opportunity, gets two guys. She had to draw a plus one to do that, didn't did she? she? Yeah, yeah. Because so, she was doing two damage. She rolled a pl- she drew a plus one, did yeah. exactly enough damage, just enough. So she could have got zero. She could have got negative one. She could have canceled. A lot of things could have happened. Jack, what's it like to do twelve damage and get it <laughs> negated? <laughs> and you know what? That's funny because I was thinking about that afterwards. Uh, so when, in our second scenario, I'm playing a rogue character. Ha! Who would have thought? Which it was random. I'm pretty sure. Um, but I, my character is all about dealing tons of damage to a single target for the most part. Because you, if I'm invisible, if I'm dealing to damage to a target that's by itself and being flanked by an ally, damage, 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 bonus, 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 bonus. The problem is, is that there's always that dastardly attack modifier deck where you flip over a card that's going to change the strength of your attack. If you're lucky, it doubles. If you're slightly less lucky, it's plus one or two. Uh, zero is probably the the most neutral thing you can get here. Then it can go negative one. Is there negative two as well? Yep. Negative two. And then the worst of the worst, the cancellation. So for the second scenario, the thing was is that you start it 
and everyone shuffles into their attack modifier deck these curses. Which is a big deck. It's 20 cards, I think. 20 cards. So you're adding three more cards to this. You're going to see these things. Jack saw all three of them. <laughs> all three cancellations came up for giant attacks. Yeah. Giant, super... Attack modifier, attack modifier. Oh my god, this is going to be possibly taking out his eight, half his HP in one hit. Womp, yeah. womp, womp, womp. And then also there's just one, just one in your deck. Yeah, one natural. natural one, and every yeah. time you draw that, you shuffle your deck and yep. you start again. Yep. Jack got that twice. Unbelievable. So under the one out of 20 chance plus the three out of tw yep. 23 chance that yep. he had to draw each of those other ones. He got them all. I was brutalized by and the And then RNG. again. <laughs> brutalized. And we and to be fair, that's why I didn't feel so salty per se about the second one because I just had terrible luck. And Harry got smoked. I think he went through all three of his too. Yep. Um, that we, if it wasn't for the modifiers, I don't think we would have, we could have steamrolled that one pretty simply. The third scenario, that one was just pure. I don't know what we were supposed to do to play that better beyond Josh being maybe more aggressive with attacks, but it's just yep. swarmed, swarmed right away. Well, that's the thing. We were just trying to dance around, trying to stay alive. Yeah. And we probably went through six rounds. Yeah. Just sitting up against this wall of guards. Or yeah. yeah. It, it was a clumsy encounter. I'd be, I'd be right away to say that it felt kind of like, okay, it, it's if you open the door, door slams behind you and there are like a bunch of people in front of you. And there's not really nothing you can do. Although I've, it's like I think I think I was saying afterward, maybe we could have opened up the door and everyone just ran into this one room, and sort of like dealt right. with. Right. Tried to escape. Tried the to escape the guards directly, so we're not getting hit with the archers. See, the and only way that we would think to do that is if we had already played the encounter before. And maybe you know what? And next time we do something like this, I'd be like, we're learning more about it, and I'm pretty sure we'll will be leveling up, or at least one person's leveling up next time too. Yep. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing the, the ability creep as yep. we go further up there because it'll be interesting to see that stuff. I really want to know... Um, and I think we're being stingy with items, by the way, because yep. stamina potions, two cards back. That's really important. That's you a don't game have to rest. changer for yeah. sure. You buy yourself a round. Yeah. And you might end up getting more gold out of that. Anyway, Bingo, yeah. It's only... Yeah, so sorry, please. I was just going to say I really want to know... Um, why I lost my thought okay forget about it alright it's fine so the bottom line is I think the I really don't want to know why you're so handsome Jack <laughs> <laughs> well the trick is is being a filthy person on the inside and out the the game is very very hard I was not expecting to be this hard right out of the gate in terms of like I, I was warned by my friend who was playing at two players with his girlfriend and he was talking about how hard it was. And I've heard it's easier with smaller groups because there's less enemies and you can really sort of focus fire certain things. You kind of dance around some guys more. But I think, I don't know whether we have a poor composition right now or maybe not the best. Maybe we've got three squishy people and but only one. there's a tank out there. Yeah. And like not even a tank, really. <laughs> he's just like, he's got more HP than the rest of us. I'm saying we're probably not playing the tank. Oh, probably not playing the tank. There's so a barbarian. That's got to be. There's got to be the, the brute. Are we not playing with the brute? Is that our problem yeah. that we're actually missing the guy who's good at this stuff? So, and I think the more we sort of synergize each other's characters too, like kind of like, okay, so starting turns off, or starting things, starting things off. Having... Uh, what is it, Kayla that, or, um, or not Kayla, like her, her character or Harry's character that can create the shield for a round two. So mm -hmm. have him go first and actually activate this stuff and create these buffs so we can actually take advantage of it and just 
as opposed to doing a lot of little damage to a bunch of guys, keeps them alive and whacking at us. Yeah. Just kill guys, get them out of the way. Well, well Kayla ran into that, unfortunately, a couple times where two or three of us had already gone. Yeah. And then she's like, okay, plus one to everybody. It's like, oh, <sighs> shoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it's that's why I think because I think we mentioned this last time we talked about Gloomhaven, but it's like you're not allowed to give specific information to other players. I think you're well within your rights to say I'm going to boost you guys. I'm going to boost your attack this turn. I don't think there's anything wrong with that because you're not going to say I'm boosting your attack by one or two. I'm giving you you guys are going to be stronger this turn. But the the trick is saying okay, I need you to go first. If we're all going to be wailing on somebody, I'd rather everyone get the attack bonus rather than just one person at the end or nobody. Yeah, exactly. Which is weird because you being the rogue, you're fast and you you have a lot of low numbers. Yeah. Um, other people, you know, they might have one or two cards under 30. Yeah. Um, I got my thought back, though. You reminded me. Sure. I'm curious to know what other people are doing as far as treating um, players' knowledge of the scenario, right? Because that is hugely game-changing, and it seems like you're not supposed to know what's coming. Talk about what you mean. So often there's a room and then there's another room, often like sort of in D&D, and if you were the dungeon master, you would be waiting to tell the party what they see once they come through the next door. They just know there's a door, that's it. But in this game, we are the dungeon master, right? Mm-hmm. We operate the game. So mm-hmm. as players, we have information about what the scenario is, part one, part two, even the conclusion if we really wanted to read on. Mm-hmm. And that nowhere in the game does it say you can't read on, nowhere in the game does it say you can't know what to encounter. Just as an example, if I had known, right, because I didn't want to look ahead, if I had known that behind the door uh, that we were walking around was a shaman and three archers that were going to be able to shoot at me immediately, Mm -hmm. do you think I would have opened that door? Well, to be fair, I thought you knew. That's why you were doing it. No. (laughs) I I saw something about two archers. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's a perfect question, and I'm really curious as myself because, like Joel was saying, you look through the... Is it one person? Should they keep it themselves, or is it th- assumed? And maybe it's just I'm. It says right in there in the, the book, and I'm just I skipped over it. Yeah. But if you know that stuff is there, you plan accordingly. And I think the game actually there's no way around it. So I think the game just assumes that you know where everything is. You don't yep. know what is going to be in the treasure chest. You don't know what, how the enemies are going to behave, but you know they are there. And I think that's the only way to approach yep. it. And if we approach it in the way that okay. If one person sh- knows the information, everyone should know the information because that's fair. Yeah. Then we should be taking that scenario book, dropping it down in the middle of the map and saying, okay, this is what we're going into. How are we going to roll it? And you know what? Maybe like we're, we're assuming a lot of stuff, but maybe the game will even anticipate this. And later on, it'll be so flip to this page after you do this and then the map's going to actually change and you yeah. don't can't you're not really anticipating it in this way and in this case you're just supposed to assume whatever but I really don't know and yeah. it's uh, which brings us kind of into a nice little uh, with our last couple of minutes you just did a D&D uh, campaign campaign today uh, event adventure today yeah and you tried something different what did you do so uh, just a quick recap there's a city and the entire D&D campaign takes place in the same city in and around it um, and uh, long story short is one party is in power and another party is trying to take power and so what's happened now is that there is a big war going on inside of the city uh, and so there's a whole bunch of fights breaking out all over the city and then I have to take this party this small group of five people yeah 
and incorporate them into that. And that's the challenge. Like story-wise, it all makes sense. How do you <laughs> move that yeah. into a combat situation? And it's there was a book, and I found it, and it seemed like a really good idea. Whereas basically, instead of having individual characters um, that you're fighting, like classic D and D, all of a sudden you get these units of characters, and each unit counts as eight characters, mm-hmm. and not an individual in it dies until <clears throat> the whole unit dies. Mm-hmm. On paper, it looked kind of cool. We tried it out today. What? Do you <laughs> How would you explain? What do you think was the main flaw with it? I just thought it was dull. Yeah. It, it was because the, I think Dungeon Dragons does not scale up nicely unless you've really got a sophisticated system. And maybe this one is something that works better and under different circumstances. But in this case, it just turned into the worst of the, and this is not, I'm not attacking you whatsoever. No, no, no. I'm just I know saying it was it, a failure. It, it wasn't a failure. It was just boring because it was, it boiled down to just, um, chuck dice here, yeah. chuck dice there. And, and it was also like, um, especially for the first parts where there was this sort of meat shield of a mob in front yeah. of you, there was no risk. You were just, oh, I'll throw my damage at that and just yeah. check off a number. I think the, the best sort of campaigns it, or the best sort of fights are when you there's actual positioning and yep. you have to worry about that stuff and maybe there's environmental objects you're hiding behind and you're like, or maybe tricking the enemies into getting out of position. In this case, as far as I could tell, it was just like a big open space and there's these guys here and these guys here. And you don't want to go up close because there's tons of them right now. And it's easier just to hang back till they all die. And then you worry about that shit later. Yeah. When they're doing hundreds of damage on their turn and yeah. you're just like, well, I don't want to get involved. In that. <laughs> I do not feel like getting yeah. destroyed in one hit. Because especially when you're dealing out like doses of 18 damage, 18 damage to uh, uh, Stefan and Mark and the rest of those guys. Yeah. So it was a neat idea. Fun concept. But like the rest of it was tons of fun. Just... Oh, it'd be interesting I to feel see. like maybe uh, other people might be more interested in sort of wow this is amazing I'm part of a war right now yeah. but the, the mechanics it's almost like you just have to have it going on it's like oh there's a big fight going on in the room next to you but you are trying to sneak by or you're trying to go through this see, like, that side was one tunnel. of the approaches I first thought of was yeah. oh we'll get them their own encounter yeah, yeah. they'll do this fight where everyone else is doing all the other ones yeah it's still, it's a neat idea, and I'd be curious to see an interpretation of it another time. But yep. Anyway, I'm Jack. I'm Joel. Have a nice night, folks. Or day. It's probably day. Bye. <laughs> Have a good afternoon. lecture on being Canadian will once again be the centerpiece of the Arts Everywhere Festival. Philosophy